Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Longer tables, not higher walls. Four forks. With some tweaks. MSG is good for you. (laughs) Not food porn, food romance. Hey there, and welcome back to the Webby Podcast. Today, a special episode with one of my all-time favorite internet food savants. Yes, it's Kenji Lopez-Alt. Even if you've never heard of Kenji, read his articles, or watched his videos, chances are he's had a big impact on not only the food you eat, but how you think about food and cooking. Kenji is a chef and a cook of over 20 years and a food writer. He's behind the New York Times bestselling book, The Food Lab, the website, Serious Eats, and a YouTube channel. Together, they all give people science-proven methods for home cooking. Prior to this, he started his culinary career working for a few chefs in Boston before becoming a test cook for the legendary Cooks Illustrated. As you can imagine, Kenji and I talked a lot about food, from cooking techniques to his journey starting Serious Eats and writing The Food Lab, and how he thinks the internet changed food in his upcoming book, The Walk, Recipes and Techniques, and a whole bunch more. We started off by talking about how, fortunately for all of us, he didn't end up going into biology. I mean, my background was originally in science and engineering, so I have my my degrees in architecture. Um, and I was when I started college, I was actually uh, I started as a biology major. Um, and um, the the reason I switched out of that was because I, I after spending a couple summers working in labs, I found the work to be the the actual day to day work to be a little boring for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, I didn't want to work in biology labs, and um, and as such, I. I took a summer off um, in college uh, and basically just looking for some kind of, you know, some kind of job to pay the bills while I figured out what I wanted to do uh, with my life. Um, And that job ended up being cooking in a kitchen. So um, I was actually looking for a job as a server. And one restaurant I came to just happened to have a position open immediately for a prep cook. Uh, so that was the first time I had ever really cooked in my life was, uh, I was wow. in a, in a professional kitchen. And, uh, and, you know, it was sort of then that I found, you know, discovered that I actually enjoyed food as well. You know, I, I mean, I watched, uh, like Jack Pepin and the, the Galloping Gourmet and Julia Child, you know, and all those, uh, Yang Kang Cook and all, all those people, um, on like PBS TV, uh, cooking mm-hmm. shows. Um, and the, you know, the food network had just started a little bit before that. So I was kind of, you know, I was into, I was into watching cooking. Um, but I, but I never really thought that I would be a cook. Um, and so after graduating, I went basically full-time into restaurants. Yeah. At, at a wide range of restaurants, um, over, over a number of years. Um, and you know, for me, one of the, one of the things that always I had difficulty with was that, um, especially, especially back then, and we're talking like the you know, right around 2000, the early 2000s, um, I think there there was more of an attitude back then uh, and before that, that, you know, you, you say, well, why are we, why are we, why do we do it this way? And the answer is because that's what the chef says. You know? So there was a lot of this sort of like, we, we do it that way because that's the way we do it. Yeah. Type, um, type of communication going on back then, um, which I don't think is as much the case these days. Um, uh, but, it, you know, but it's also something that's sort of essential in a restaurant. It's like you, you need consistency and speed. And those are the things that are really valuable in a restaurant kitchen. Um, so, you know, as I was learning these things, I also was sort of uh, had had always questions, all these questions sort of building up in my head, like, why do we do it this way? Why do we, want, why do, we do it this way? And, um, you know, and I, I never, never really thought about, well, when am I going to get to answer these things? But, you know, as it turned out, luckily, a few years after that, I, um, I saw the job listing. Um, it was a test cook job. I was trying to look at how I could branch out of working in restaurant kitchens while still staying in the food industry. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I, I looked up what the magazine does and I was like, oh, they do this kind of stuff that I've always wanted to do, which is, right. you know, answer questions about cooking. Uh, and so, you know, I applied for that job and I got it uh, and it was great. So I worked for, you know, I worked for Coastal Illustrated for a number of years. Um, and that's where I really sort of started working on my recipe development skills. Um, you know, and more, more than anything, I think what I learned at Cooks Illustrated was 
how home cooks uh, operate, you know, because my experience mm. in cooking before that had always been in restaurants uh, and home cooks operate in a very different way than restaurants, um, which is, you know, which is often why restaurant chefs and restaurant cooks are very bad at, I think, at giving recipes and instructions to home cooks just because they have a very different set of um, experiences and a different set of parameters and within a recipe, what they're trying to achieve with a recipe, um, different set of tools, et cetera. So, you know, learning how home cooks think and operate uh, and what kind of trouble they have, what kind of recipes they're interested in. That was a sort of super invaluable lesson that I learned um, at Cooks Illustrated that, you know, those types of lessons I still use to this day. Yeah, and Home Cooks was all, I mean, uh, Cooks Illustrated was always pretty good about like sort of recognizing which ingredients were the kind of things that would just be like really hard for home cooks to have and yeah, giving ideas yeah. and sort of like understanding some of these differences in a in like a pre-internet I mean, I know 2002, 2003, there's like the, you know, obviously the web and everything, but it's, yeah. it's not, it wasn't. There's no YouTube. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no exactly. YouTube then. There were, yeah, it, yeah, obviously it was really different back then. So like you're saying, it's like, you know, Cooks Illustrated, we relied a lot on, you know, what can you buy at your local supermarket? Because nobody was mail ordering things. And, and, right. and, and even as far as like the types of recipes that were done back then, um, you know, if you, back then, it's like, if you wanted to, find if you wanted to find a recipe for you know like Sichuan mapo tofu right first of all you had to be familiar with what the dish was which is you know in in a lot of parts of the of the country back then it it wasn't a, it wasn't obvious that you yeah. that people would know what this dish is even now maybe it's not obvious that everyone would know what the you know the authentic Sichuan version is um and if you as far as getting the ingredients go you really had to go out of your way to find it you know and and if you wanted instructions you would buy like you know you would buy fuchsia dunlop's book but now it's like you can go on youtube and find someone like in Sichuan, making the dish right now, right in front of you, um, and showing you how to make it, um, and and then you can go onto a, you know, malamarket.com and order and order the spices and the and the chili paste and all the things that you need to make it exactly the same way at home. Like what role early on there, uh, when you're sort of talking about like why do we do it this way? To me, that's like a that's a very kind of like internety early internety type cultural thing where there's actually a lot of like sort of early internet businesses where the whole premise was essentially like real estate why do they do it this way it should be this way or apartment listings or food or you know that it was sort of like hey this is old and broken like let's and there's a certain amount of like oh i could type things in and ask questions and get answers to google that i think sort of drove a bit of that like just overall culture and it's it, to me it's part of why you know this nowadays that's like a totally you know it's a very common thing like why do we do it this way right um, how much of that do you feel like influenced your sort of you know, your inquisitiveness around these old things? Or was that just something like even as a kid with your family and that kind of thing, you were always sort of driving at when it came to food? That's something that I that I always grew up, you know, it's like my my family background is, um, there, you know, there's a lot of scientists in my family. And so just mm. sort of scientific um, language and, um, you know, the idea of um, asking questions and, and finding real answers was something that, um, was sort of ingrained in me just growing up. Um, so that, yeah, that was, that was something that has always been around, um, in, in my personality, um, pre, even pre-internet, you know, but as, but as far as like answering questions, um, you know, I think it's once I, once I moved to serious eats, um, and started developing the recipe program there, 2008 or nine, um, when I started writing at Serious Eats and the idea of having a website that was as authoritative on cooking as like a, as a glossy magazine or, or, you know, a Cooks Illustrated, I think was sort of foreign to people at the time. Um, and so that, that's, I think why Serious Eats built its reputation um, uh, early on and, and to this day as like a trustworthy place uh, to find recipes and, and a place where we're testing is at the core of everything we say and that, uh, you know, and that it's the type of place you go to answer why. And and that, you know, that's the kind of type of content that I think um, helped both series seats, but also I think really influenced the way um, a lot of food content uh, comes out these days is that I think people, especially, especially like an online audience, um, they do want that why answered, not just the not just the how. All the while you're kind of maybe growing up in this industry is not exactly the right way of saying it, but maybe like coming of age or sort of mm -hmm. evolving. And all the while, like the, the, the sort of media tools are, you know, just dra dramatically changing and improving mm -hmm. and evolving right at the same time. Right. So, at the, you know, sort of at the beginning, there's like websites and it's like you can take pictures and it's like mm -hmm. digital camera and it takes forever to upload it and the whole thing. And then like 2006, seven, now we have like 
YouTube. And then a few years later, this is like the iPhone. So now you can take videos that are actually good. And like, I imagine all these things are sort of starting to come into your like repertoire as you're thinking, not just yeah. about being the developer and telling teacher of like why, but also like how, how do the communication tools improve that? Yeah. Well, you know, as, as someone who has always been interested in, in, in videography and photography, you know, I, like I did videography classes in, in high school and I had, you know, and I was a photography, um, my, my architecture degree, I had a, a concentration in photography, um, in college. So I, I've always been interested in sort of visual media. Um, and, and of course the internet, I've, I've been in a very sort of lucky position personally to, to have been able to see the evolution of all these tools. Um, and, to, and especially to be, you know, sort of at the, at the forefront, um, like right in the mix of what's going on as we, as we went through this transition from print media to online media, um, and, and, and from, you know, very basic online media to more photo heavy stuff to now video stuff. I've been, um, you know, it's evolved along with my career, which has been uh, really lucky for me. I think, um, you know, I think one of the one of the reasons why Serious Eats was so fun to work with at the work work at at the beginning, um, and why it was so successful early on, is because it was really a tiny, tiny company. You know, editorially, we were at the beginning maybe five or six people. The whole company was like nine or ten people for you know for a long time. It's a little mm. now. It's been acquired by a couple bigger companies, and now you know, and most recently it was acquired by. Dot Dash, which is like the, the largest media company in the world now. But, um, you know, for, for many years, we were literally like five to 10 people working out of a tiny, tiny office and doing and doing everything. But it, but it let us, you know, it, it did let us um, gave us a lot of freedom, like turnaround time uh, for an I from the time like we got an idea, you know, we would have our weekly editorial meetings or, or sometimes we would just be hanging out after, you know, in the office at, late at night. Uh, drinking whiskey or whatever, um, and have an idea, and it's like, hey, let's let's um, you know, let's put together a like an In and Out burger with a Shake Shack burger in the middle of the country, and 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 do you know, something something silly like that, and then we're like, all right, like, cool, let's like, when can we do this? Like, all right, well, I can get my friend to ship me an In and Out burger next week, uh, you know, and and so it's like these things where in a in a magazine you know, where like a magazine like Cook's Illustrated, we had a built-in subscriber base, right? And so you know that every article you write has to be tailored to the subscriber base because that's who your market is, the people who have already subscribed to the magazine. Um, and, you know, and then you have a, so you you, have, you spend a long time coming up with ideas and figuring out, and, and you're very limited in real estate also. It's like you have whatever, 24 pages or whatever it was. You're very limited in real estate. And so you have to be very sure that what you're going to do is something that's going to be resonate with your readership. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then you work on like a, you know, an eight month production schedule because there's all these different teams that are involved and there's, you know, dozens and dozens of people. Whereas, um, on Serious Eats, it's like, you know, we publish eight to 10 articles a day. Um, you know, so if if some crazy idea we had doesn't work out, who cares? You know, um, we're not limited in, as far as like space goes. Um, and generally, the more stuff you produce, um, the better. Right. It, bu it builds a connection with your with your readers. And you and you sort of have this sort of like real time interaction with the world where you know, you, you do something, you see the effect it has on your readers, and then you come up with new ideas based on that. And, and, you know, back then, like all the internet comment, like all the commenting was done directly in the site, you know, so this was like, before, like, you know, Reddit was popular, or all these other discussion sites were, discussion yeah. forums were popular. Um, so all the discussion was happening right there. Um, and so you really have like a, a firsthand connection with your readers, and, um, and you're able to pivot and try out ideas and do crazy things. Uh, and I think that really, um, you know, captured that moment of the, of the internet, which is, which is different, very different from what it is out now, you know, like now serious seats is like a, it's a, it's a production, you know, there's like, it's, 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 um, they still do, of course, really high quality content, but we don't do like, oh, here's a picture of my dog eating a pizza, you know, like, here, right. um, right. that, that, the kind of stuff that I think made it, um, felt very, you know, web, web 1.0. <laughs> yeah. Like people kind of felt like they knew you all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to some yeah. extent, even though they didn't, it's sort of like, you know, it's like you, they had a connection with you, you know, through, through the, through the photos and the images and yeah. the comments. And you guys would comment on recipes and stuff back to mm -hmm. people who were asking questions. And yeah. And, you know, and for me personally, like, I, I really, I like that style of like, I don't, I don't like having a boss. I don't like having a schedule. I don't like having mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to, um, to conform to a specific set of standards or goals. And so, you know, my, with my career, like I've always tried to, um, every career choice I've made has been towards like having more personal freedom to just do what I want. And so, you know, so I think that is now reflected in sort of like the way I do 
my videos now, right? It's like, I don't, ha- I don't have a schedule. I don't, uh, I, nobody does anything except for me. It's just me and like a couple of cameras. Um, I barely edit it. I, I, I don't plan them. I just, you know, cook what I'm going to be cooking for dinner or whatever anyway. Yeah. Um, and so having, having that freedom has always been really important to me. I think like, I, I would not have been able to have the career I have if I was born 10 years earlier, or 20 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it also coincides with, I mean, you all, um, you know, you took also a less traditional approach to what you're actually cooking too, right? Like, so, you know, one of the maybe, I mean, not knocks, but one of the shortcomings of maybe like Cook's Illustrator or something is that, it, you know, the recipes themselves could feel like very traditional sometimes, not like the innovativeness around making them better and stuff, right. but just like the topic of what it was. Yeah, you know, yeah, is, yeah. Is like, yeah. because of, I assume what you're saying, because... Every November, you have to have it. You have to have a turkey and mashed potatoes, right? Yeah, and and then as y- you all were like sort of covering, there's like this whole other world of food out there that because again of information and access to it, everybody's having more access to. And you guys were really like on the forefront of that. Cooks Illustrated again by virtue of the fact that they were they had this sort of locked in subscriber base. Like you know, they were very entrenched in this New England American style of cooking, right? Um, uh, but you know, serious seats were like a bunch of young people in the middle of New York. Um, and, yeah. and all of whom, you know, we loved traveling. We loved, um, we were like, you know, living in the internet age. And so, it's, so yeah, I mean, I think that got reflected, um, very much in, in the types of coverage we did on serious seats, serious seats and, and the types of dishes we were willing to look at and, um, and all of that. You know, I, I actually wasn't, as turned on to your YouTube channel as I guess I should have been. And oh, that's right. um, yeah. hadn't, no, but I was like sort of pleasantly surprised. I found, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't even necessarily realize you were doing all this stuff. Um, and I was like, I got to watch more of these things. How, tell me a bit about like your process there. And for our listeners, uh, I'll just, just I'll let you describe it more than me, but for our listeners, you're, you're essentially like, uh, you know, bringing them directly. What I assume is your kitchen at home. Yeah. It seems uh-huh. like, and you got a, you have a camera, you have a phone that you've strapped to your head. It seems uh, like GoPro, a yeah. GoPro. And yeah. you're basically cooking some of your, you know, some of the videos I saw, there are some of the recipes I think of like your famous things or things that I like really, um, yeah, you know, really enjoyed cooking before. And you're just like, here's how I do it. So, I mean, I, we started doing video when I was at Cooks Illustrated, actually. So I think if you go, if you go to Cooks Illustrated's YouTube channel and sort by, oldest to newest um the very earliest videos they have on there from like 2007 like right at the dawn of youtube um are me looking like super awkward explaining how to like hold a knife you know very 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 old old video stuff um that's still there but you know but ever ever since you know 2007 i've been thinking like how do we um you know thinking about what what i would want to do as far as video content goes and we experiment and at serious seats we experimented with a bunch of stuff you know from ranging from simple you know one camera in-house things to really highly produced um things with like you know we like we hired a crew and had like union workers and craft services and all you know like real production type stuff um and it was always difficult to figure out like how do i translate um like sort of food lab type content um into video and have it be compelling um and, you know, over the years, I've, re- I've recognized in myself that like scripted video content is really difficult for me. Like I just, I'm, I'm just not good mm-hmm. at reading off a script and hitting talking points. Um, but uh, after my first book came out and I started doing a lot of sort of teaching and you know, traveling and teaching and teaching classes, um, what I what I found I was actually pretty good at is um, and what I you know, and what I gained skills at over the years is um, cooking and talking at the same time and explaining to people why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, and so, so that is sort of the approach I take with my YouTube content now, which is, um, I just, all I do is I cook something, you know, I don't really follow recipes. Like often it'll be something that might be inspired by, uh, like a serious eats recipe or a food lab recipe or something that I read in someone else's book. Um, but I never really measure or, you know, it's not like I prep Mm -hmm. it out and be like, this is exactly how you make this recipe. Um, it's, it's, to me, I sort of think of it as like, is like the anti cooking show cooking show because um, I leave in all my mistakes. Um, I don't plan anything. Uh, I don't ever, you know, I, I never, I don't swap things out to make it, to make it look perfect at the end. It's really like, it's literally, it's like I'm making, fa- I'm making dinner or lunch for myself or my family. Um, and if it's, and if it turn if it happens to be at a time when, you know, my wife and my daughter and my son are not around and I'm, I'm the, like, I know I have the kitchen to myself for a little while, then I'll stick a camera on my head uh, and I'll explain it. So most of the, you know, the vast majority of the recipes are literally like something that 
my family's going to eat five minutes after I put the camera down. Um, and so I think it, to me, it actually ends up, ends up being sort of like the perfect complement to the printed food lab, um, and serious eats stuff, because that stuff is like very sort of rigid seeming and sort of, it seems like it's very prescriptivist, but you know, the idea with those things has always been, if you learn all the science and technique behind, um, a recipe, then you're able to improvise and you, and you're able to, you know, swap out ingredients or, or, you know, where you're able to, um, you know, take a slightly different route or do something that you prefer. Um, and so th that was always difficult to get across in the print because the recipes seem so rigid and recipes are rigid, right? You know, they're like turn by turn directions and, and recipes are pretty rigid. Um, so what I've enjoyed about doing the videos is that I think it shows people, Hey, you know, like this is this is the starting point, um, and this is how this information, having this knowledge, can help you actually become a, a more casual cook. You know, because I, I yeah. I'm able to make these I'm able to make these changes. I'm able to if I make a mistake, I'm, I'm I'm able to fix the mistake because I understand sort of the basic principles of technique and science and food science and and how to recover and how to make things taste good even without the exact right ingredients or the right or following exact step by step directions. Um, and so I think that that's sort of what um, the appeal that the um, the YouTube channel has for people is that um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 unscripted and it's it's just showing someone who has, you know, I'm not the greatest cook in the world, but I have, you know, but I have experience and I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so I think when people see how, uh, you know, um, someone who has professional experience cooks at home and even professionals make mistakes. And, you know, I think that that's what's appealing to people. Um, that, that said, I also know that like for a lot of people, um, like the, you know, the head cam, the, the camera attached to the head, um, for some people, it's just not, it's never going to work. Right. Because it makes them, it makes them motion sick or whatever. But, you know, my goal with my YouTube channel has always been like, this is fun for me. Um, I, I don't care how many people watch it or how many people subscribe. You know, luckily it seems like a lot of people like it, but um, you know, I don't, I don't try and hit the YouTube algorithm or, or whatever um, that I know a lot of people do. Um, I don't take advertisements or sponsorships or anything. It's really just like a, this is a fun project for me. Um, as soon as it starts to feel like work, I'm going to stop doing it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, I, I think I watched like a 40, there's like a 40 minute plus video on you making like a salad niçoise or something. And okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> what I would, it was great. But I would say is that like, there's nobody in the world who would have like come up with that as a strategy for hitting the YouTube algorithm. Probably. <laughs> but it, it, it had, you know, it was, it was, it was very popular and, um, you know, it was great. It's a great, it's a great video. I mean, I learned a lot about that whole thing you do with the, um, with the green beans and the, like blanching of them and putting them in the ice and all mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that you could like read and be like, Oh yeah. But then when you see you do it, it's like, Oh, okay. And like, I've you know done that like 26 times with other oh, yeah. vegetables. Yeah. Stuff, like, Cause you just, <laughs> it's funny. It is, there is something about reading information and when you're in the moment of doing a recipe, it, it, even though you can go slow as you want, sometimes it can feel really like high pressure or right. there's like something about like, Oh my God, I got to do this now. And right. This right. And right. Like, and then, but then when you watch you do it and it's a little, you're not, you don't act like you're stressed out really. Yeah. Well, cause it's like I've done a billion times. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, and then you see it, you kind of like intake this other form of information to some extent, you know, it's sort of, it sort of hits a different part of your, 
you process it in a way that's like sort of complementary to the reading of the recipe in some other format, which is kind of yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it's kind of like you know my my daughter right now is learning both how to ski and how to ride a bike, right? And so, um, you know, but in, in both of those things, it's like you're you're inherently nervous about falling, and and you think you know my daughter's like I'm not going to learn I'm not going to be able to do this I'm going to fall I'm going to fall and and the answer is like, yeah, like, of course you're going to fall. Like you're, you're learning how to do it. And so, you know, I think one of the things that really helps her is when I tell her, you know, about times when I fell when I was younger or, you know, or riding the bike, if we see someone who looks like they're, they've got a really nice bike and has all this like cool equipment and, and you know, bikers are often very supportive. They're, they're like, they'll slow down and talk to her and say she's doing a good job and stuff. And then, but her question for them is always like, did you fall when you were like when you were first learning how to ride a bike? And they're and they're like, oh oh yeah of course. And and she'll ask them to tell about a time they fell. And so I th- you know I th- I think seeing people who um you know seeing 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 that it's okay to make mistakes and understanding that it's okay to make mistakes and everything is a learning process and that you know every single person no matter how professional they look or how much experience they have like we're not born with that knowledge, right? They, they, they made mistakes when they were younger and they probably still even mis- make mistakes now. Right. And, right. And so I think that, that idea is, is reassuring to a lot of people who watch the, the YouTube channel. It was kind of interesting. I was looking at like what seemed to do, I mean, it all seemed to do well, but like, what were the things that were really big versus like the, the big, your biggest hits. And like, I couldn't really make anything out. Like I saw, I, you know, I, the biggest thing it seemed to be is you have this like late night grilled chorizo, Trees yeah cheese for some recipe. reason that just like that's yeah, huge that one just hit the youtube algorithm that has like 10 million something views i don't know but yeah i mean the, i definitely the, the ones where the the ones where like i'm kind of silent and just cooking very late at night and do, making some kind of you know like like drunk food um people seem to like those but i don't do this anymore because i've got a i've got a five month old at home so you know i i'm uh, not up making noise in the middle sleep. of the night or like cooking a half drunk grilled cheese anymore um you know maybe maybe in a few years i'll get back to there but but um <laughs> uh i mean those do well i think um you know like whenever i do like a hamburger or something that always does well but you know but again it's People like, like I, I don't really um yeah, it's not it, it doesn't yeah it doesn't matter to me how well something yeah. does you know so when people are like you could you could get this many views if you just did this i'm like eh, okay <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's lots of stuff, but what's the, are you like, is there something you're kind of more into that you've like more recently than you were like maybe a few years ago or like, well, what's your, you know, I mean, we moved to Seattle a little over a year ago. Um, and so a lot of what I've been doing recently is trying to sort of, you know, explore the Seattle food scene. Um, mm. uh, so right, right now I'm sort of like in the middle of this month long, um, trying to find great sandwich sandwiches around Seattle, uh, uh, things. So I've been, I've been eating a lot of sandwiches recently. Um, and is that just for fun or are you working on a project around great sandwiches? No, it's just, it's just for fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's just like, yeah, we moved to a new city. I want to, I want to explore it. Like, you know, I think I always think like, yeah, exploring a city through its food is, yeah. is the easiest way to access the culture. Sort of similar. Like, um, what are you trying, is there a, an area in food or eating or recipes that you're kind of like on it, not the, not the like pleasure. I mean, hopefully it's pleasurable, but yeah. not just from the eating perspective that you're diving more into. I know you have a book, um, coming out called the walk. Yeah. Uh, so I assume you, you must've done a big, uh, a, a tour de force of, of walk eating. Cooking, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, you, you know, the, the walk, I mean, the walk is by far my most used pan and, you know, and has mm. been for the last 20 years or so, which is why, which is why I wanted to write this book. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, cooking in a walk is and, and cooking, um, you know, not just Chinese food, but, you know, all, all kinds of East Asian food, um, walk-based things have, has been something that I, that I always do, um, and have always done. Uh, so, um, you know, at, at least like three or four meals a week come out of, come out of the walk. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I mean, and, 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 you know, and that, that is why I wrote the book is I want people to see like, oh, this is not, this is not just the tool you pull out, like, you know, a couple times a year when you want to make a stir fry. This is like mm. the most, you know, the most versatile pan in your kitchen um, if you know how to use it right. And, and if you have this sort of repertoire of techniques and recipes. Um, so that that's what the book is about. Um, what are some I, of your favorite walk? What, so what are your favorite like mainstays or go tos at home that you that you cook a lot? Well, I mean, I mean, going back to Mapo Tofu is like by far mm-hmm. like is like my, you know, my desert island 
meal mapo tofu mm-hmm. um both the, you know both the sichuan the the sichuan the you know the, the more sort of authentic sichuan version with the with the numbing fermented chili heat um, um but i grew up eating uh the sort of the japanese version of it the chinese japanese uh-huh. version of it um which is not as spicy and doesn't have the sichuan peppercorn it's just like a, it's a sort of much more sort of comforting more sort of sweet and sweet savory spicy as opposed to numbing and spicy um so i you know that was my favorite dish growing up the one my mom made and now it's also sort of what it's the meal that i know if there's nothing else um at home right now i can make it for my daughter and she will eat it every single time you know so that that's just like a very common staple dish that i make in the walk all the time when you're trying to learn what are your kind of like tools or internet sites or like, how do you go about, are you just Googling? Like, what are you doing when you're trying to learn about a new food or a new dish or a way to cook something? These, these days, the first place I turn is YouTube. YouTube, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially if it's a dish um, from a region of the world that, um, you know, where I, I don't speak the language, for example. You know, so right. it's like if I want to learn a new regional Chinese dish, I would seek out someone mm-hmm. from that region of China making it. Um, and And generally, like, you know, even even if even if a video doesn't have you know english subtitles which they often do these days but even if a video doesn't have english subtitles you can still see how things are being made but i you know i, I youtube is the first place i turn when i want to learn something um and then uh, <clears throat> uh and then from their books in general right um i don't i don't read that many websites anymore you know print websites anymore um, yeah but uh i mean i i do sometimes but but generally i i, I turn to turn to youtube because i like yeah i like visually seeing what's what's being made at times you talk a a bit about your your daughter and children and Mm -hmm. how they kind of play a role like tell me a bit about like how they influence your cooking and some things i'm sort of wondering about is like how do how do you approach spice Mm -hmm. um and what kind of influence do they have on on not only what you're cooking every day but what you're writing about or Mm -hmm. exploring or thinking about so right now we have a five-year-old and a five-month-old um the five-month-old just started you know gumming down solid foods you know so um uh, so he's not 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 much influence he's having on the diet other than well he has he has these protein restrictions right now so right now like my wife can't have soy dairy or um or egg protein which is which makes some cooking difficult Uh, especially you know especially the soy and the and the eggs makes it really difficult for us but um but you know other than other than these issues that the baby has had um you know, my daughter has been eating solid foods since she was six months old, um, and we never shied away from spice. So um, hmm. we give her, you know, we, we our policy since she started eating solid food was she eats what we eat, you know, um, and, 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 you know, and in some ways that does influence, of course, sort of what we eat because we try and have like a variety of foods at each meal um, so that she can choose what she wants, you know, things like that. But but I never like make her a special a special right. thing just mac for and her. Cheese just yeah, for I don't her. make yeah. mac and cheese just for her. Yeah. Exactly. Um, of course, she can request mac and cheese, and well, we could and we can say, okay, yeah, we'll have that for lunch on Saturday or whatever, you know. Or, or if I ask her, Alicia, like, what do you want? What do you want for dinner today? Um, she'll give me some ideas. Um, and you know, our our rule is like, if you if you make a request of a child, like you ask them what they want, or you ask them, should we add more salt or pepper to this? Like, what if you ask a question to a t- child, you should always honor their response. So, right. you know, you have to be prepared for that first, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's, she's a very good eater and like her, her, her favorite food, like, so her birthday was yesterday, uh, and, uh, she requested, um, for her birthday dinner, which we're going to do over the weekend. She requested, um, that we have roasted, roasted salmon heads wow, and a Caesar salad. So, <laughs> so that's what we're going to have, um, Somebody's had a good experience with roasted salmon heads before. It sounds like she had them for her memory last year. Also, yeah, Yeah. fish heads are her favorite foods. How are you going to cook roasted salmon heads? I've never. I I mean, Uh, we go to the fish market. We ask Uh them for all the salmon heads. We chop off the top. Don't even chop them up. You just put them on a season them salt and pepper. Put them on olive oil. Put them on a tray. Roast them really high heat until they're kind of crispy, and then Uh that's it. And then you you just dig in there. Dig in there with your fingers. Right. Poke the you know poke the cheeks out. Poke the tongues out. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know I think you don't really have to dumb foods down for kids. Um, the the only exceptions are early on when they're very little. Um, you know you don't want to give them things they can choke on. Um, mm. But but you know a little bit of gag. You know a kids learning what what is an appropriate amount of food to put in their mouth at a time. So like sometimes it can feel a little scary because it's like they'll 
you see like a five or six months old, like just putting something that seems too big and, and the baby will gag very briefly and then spit it back up. Right. So it's, it's, um, I think in general, we, we try not to be, um, overly scared about what we're going to feed our, feed our kids. Um, I think it keeps them open to experiences and all, and also involve, you know, involving my daughter with the cooking, um, has been very helpful. Um, so she, you know, she wants to cook with me every day. She wants to help. Um, and you know, early on it's, it's difficult, you know, it, it is a little, it, it, you have to commit a little bit of extra time because, you know, cooking yeah. with a kid when they're two or three, they're going to make a mess. Um, but the earlier you start committing to being OK with that mess, um, the faster they learn how to actually help. So like my daughter now, um, she smashes thing with a mortar and things with a mortar and pestle. She knows how to like clean vegetables. She um, uses a real knife. You know, she actually uses a like a full regular knife. Um, she can stand at the stove and and carefully hold a pot with a you know with a folded towel and stir things in it um so you know she she can legitimately help with all the cooking now um and yeah. she gets excited to do it um and it is also one of those things where just like riding a bike it's like if you if you're if you want your kid to to feel comfortable in the kitchen they're going to cut themselves at some point they're going to burn themselves at some point um and that's just sort of part of the learning process you can't you can't protect them that from that um perfectly um, so if you want them to get comfortable in the kitchen, you have to be okay with that. And of course, talk it through with them. Be like, you know, you are, you're probably going to cut yourself at some time. You're probably going to burn yourself sometime. And for us, like we look at it when Alicia, you know, when she, when she falls and gets a scrape on her leg or when she gets a burn on her hand, something like that, um, we just call them, we call them battle scars. And we just say that they're part of the, part of the process. Um, and, uh, and she's, yeah, so she, she's, she's grown very quickly into the kitchen. Yeah. There, I mean, there is something. Yeah, you know, there is like a in the world today something like very protective around kids and people kind of forget that actually that you know they're they're very able when you sort of empower them and like mm -hmm. you know, bring them into that type of setting. And there's you know, I'm sure there's lots of people probably see your daughter and like, Oh my god, I can't believe she can do that. But you know, if you've if you've kind of like done the work and, and yeah. invested time in it, it's it's you know, it's totally possible. Yeah. And, and three, you know, and three and four year olds, they, I think they want nothing more than to help. <laughs> it's like they, you know, they, they're at that age, it's like they see you vacuuming and they want to vacuum, right? Like they, you can, they, you, they see you like cleaning the bathroom and they want to clean the bathroom. Like they really want to help. Um, and so it's not always helpful when, you know, the type right. of help that they give is not always helpful, but yeah. the more you let them do it, the more helpful it actually becomes. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's good for them too. Yeah. 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 Tell me about a little bit about your shopping. So sort of in the same question around if you're exploring new foods, like how do you learn about them? Mm -hmm. How are you, you know, I guess twofold would be like how, how any tips for like how you use the internet to shop and, or maybe you don't rely on it. Uh, you know, I'm, then, I'm lucky and, in that yeah. I've always lived in sort of big cities. Right. And so um, I, I, I have pretty good access to, um, ingredients and and I and I'm I'm also like the kind of person that all like I would much rather support a local shop than than order from like a massive online retailer or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so my you know my shopping, I mean similar to the way I write my books, like I try to I I generally try and keep everything accessible. It's like I shop at I shop at Safeway, right? It's like I shop at, shop at the regular supermarket. Um, uh, and then if I need something special, like you know I I take like a weekly trip to the the big chinese supermarket um that has mm. you know, a bunch of different asian ingredients um sometimes i'll go to like the japanese fish market some um sometimes like my daughter and i like to go to the the local butcher right because she likes to see the the animals hanging up and stuff but um but uh but yeah i mean my my often you know i i am definitely one of these people where i don't shop for specific recipes like i go to the supermarket or i go to the farmer's market or I go wherever I buy what I think looks cool at the time. Um, and then afterwards I have it at home and I'll figure out a way to use it, um, later on. So you're you not, know, you're usually I don't know like, what we're going to have for dinner until I think about okay. All right, what's in my fridge. You're not getting like 10 pounds of some sort of grass, grass finished steak from, a no in wyoming or something no 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 i mean so like you know like i said my, my daughter and i go to the butcher maybe one she so she has violin lessons on thursdays and there's the butcher right next door to it um and so we go there once a week or maybe every other week um and and it's usually like all right at least like just like pick two things that whatever you want and she'll see two things like she'll be like what's that it's like oh that's pork belly okay i want pork belly um, and what's that? That's a duck. Uh, I want a duck, you know, so we'll get pork right. belly and duck that week and then we'll figure out what we're going to cook with it later on. 
What are, um, it's just as we wrap up, a couple of last things, just one I want to ask you is what, what are some of the things maybe in your own career, but also just generally in food and recipes and sort of this mix of like the way the internet's impacting it that you're excited about for the future? Is there like a, is there trends or things that you think are really positive for that are influencing the way people eat or the way people cook or, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, as as I was mentioning earlier, for, you know, for me, I think the best way to learn about uh, a city or a, a place is to explore its food. And because, you know, I, th I think food is the, um, you know, th there's all different kinds of cultural touchstones, right? You know, there's there's music, there's art, there's architecture, and there's all these things. Um, but food is the only one where everybody practices it. Every single person practices it every day. You know, everybody eats. Um, and so you know, the food of a culture, I think, is the easiest way to have a first, you know, to gain access and to, and to, and to, and to learn about it and to learn about a culture. Um, and so, you know, for me, the idea that, uh, that we're able to, um, the, I mean, the internet, like you, you can learn, uh, you can learn other people's recipes. You can learn about other people's foods, whether, whether it's just watching a travel show about food, um, or learning recipes or whatever, it's like, we have access now um, in ways that we never had before. And I think to me that that's, it's not just an important thing because it allows us to, you know, experience new tastes and new cuisines, whatever, but it also, I think helps open the door to, um, understanding other cultures from around the world and being open to, um, and accepting the differences, um, in these cultures and, you know, and what all these things <laughs> that the world needs, needs more of right now. <clears throat> um, and, you know, and, and, and in many ways, like the internet, exacerbates that right you know things like social media they're by design they cause grief right you know they cause they cause rifts they cause problems they cause tribalism um and so you know so in many ways like the internet is bad for this it, it all these sort of really short aggressive interactions make it difficult um but these sort of longer form more rich and more diverse forms of media um, I think have a, po a net positive effect, allowing us to sort of experience other people, um, the world through other people's eyes and, and to experience other cultures without necessarily having to go directly visit them. Yeah. And I mean, not to sort of turn to a darker thing, but there is also this whole other side of it too, which is like, there's all these, you know, there's a lot of really weird documentaries about food and, and not necessarily like factual, like on Netflix, not just Netflix, but like all over the place. Um, and you know, there is like a social media strain of that's out there also, uh, sort of promoting these things and people like start reading things that like vegetables are bad for them or things like, you know, there's this whole other sort of like really weird thing that goes on too. Um, so it is, it is kind of like, as you're saying, it's like, this is such a positive part of this, but then like, you know, as, you know, as you're in recent events show, it's like, it doesn't always, it always, doesn't always work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it, I think it all depends on, on on framing and um and you know and the willingness of the of the viewer it's 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 yeah it's not it's, it's not it's a deep easy, question right yeah, yeah it's not easy and it's not an obvious answer what whether you know this kind of inter, you know, inter in the internet overall is good or bad for the world who knows right? yeah <laughs> anything you're thinking about working on next what are you sort of um, like really excited about after you've you have this the walkbook coming out well i i mean i'm taking some i mean I, you know i'm doing the, a tour for the book uh and then i'll be taking some time off from doing you know new projects because um uh you know my my son's gonna be uh six or seven seven months old by the time my book tour is done and so i'll probably spend a lot more time with him um you know i i spend a couple days a week with him right now um like you know I'll, mondays and wednesdays are like my my days where i have them all day uh by myself um but i'll, I'll probably be spending more time with him and my kids um yeah long term um i, I want to write um another children's book or two um and then uh i have some plans at some point to write like a um a book um about how to get your kids involved in the kitchen so it'd be it'd be a cookbook mm. for kids but aimed at um parents yeah um, uh, about you know techniques for teaching your child how to cook and get them excited to be uh involved in the day-to-day -day cooking awesome well kenji thank you so much for joining us on the web podcast it's been great chatting with you oh thank you close out, we wanted to further today's topic through a new segment we're calling What the World Thinks with YouGov, where we'll surface consumer insights powered by YouGov, an international research data and analytics group. For each segment, I'll be joined by Hamish Brocklebank, chief of YouGov Safe. Let's get into it. 
we uh, we had the pleasure of speaking to Kenji Lopez Alt recently, um, and so really covered covered the gamut there. And I, I kind of wanted to get your sense from uh, as somebody who has a lot of great insights into what consumers are doing with in different forms of food and trends and so forth, and and just kind of get some of the data perspective. Can you talk about some of the most significant consumer trends you've seen um, through your work at YouGov in food over the past few years? I mean, obviously over the the pandemic, we have seen a lot of big shifts as well. Um, And also we're seeing a lot of big shifts as millennials are getting older and having kids and as Gen Z are getting older and becoming adults. Some of the biggest ones we are starting to see, I mean, a very obvious, you know, a reduction in younger people eating meat is, I think, is like one of the biggest shifts we are we are seeing. And when we look at sort of younger demographics, so that's sort of one of the, the big things we're also seeing over the pandemic. Um, so we have a bunch of different ways we're seeing this data. We're seeing it from surveys and we're seeing it from um, behavioral data, which we're collecting. Um, obviously, a lot of people are ordering more food. Um, either ordering, you know, DoorDash, Uber, very obviously, but they're also, you know, obviously doing their grocery shopping online. And so we can see into their grocery baskets. Mm. Oh, and wow. people are eating, when they are cooking at home, they are eating healthier and better food. You know, my my sort of thesis on this is very much, you're, you're seeing a case of where, you know, people are ordering more food when they can't be bothered, but when they can be bothered, um, they're actually focusing much more on the on the health quality. Another big change we're seeing is younger shoppers. And this is something that sort of shocked me a little bit, are more accepting of GMO foods. Um, So we're seeing a lot of interest there where, you know, in the US, UK, Germany in particular, they are, you know, those markets that are traditionally quite skeptical. You know, if you take UK and Germany, are traditionally quite skeptical of preservatives and additives. Younger younger people are sort of less bothered by the GMO side of things, whereas older people... Um, with scares and whatnot, are definitely more concerned about it. And then we're also seeing when we look at what, you know, going back to the meat eating thing, or the lack of meat eating, I should say, um, you know, we are looking at what are the motivators and the driving forces behind that. You know, and we're seeing a very large proportion of people are looking at it to either have an impact on the planet. So about 20% of millennials, that's their stated reason for reducing meat, of those who are reducing meat, 30% are doing it for their mental health. Um, and and that's sort of quite interesting because we're also, you know, and as well as their physical health, we're seeing on our streaming data. So to sort of take a sidestep, if we look at what people are, you know, we have a lot of data as to what people are watching on Amazon and Netflix. We are seeing um, a lot of people are watching a lot of food related shows and a lot of food related uh, sort of reality shows. The, the most famous one being obviously, the, well, at least for me, the Great British Bake Off or the Great British Baking Show, as they call it in America. But also a lot of documentaries, um, you know, there's you know documentaries about the, the perils of meat eating, the perils of eating fish. Um, those documentaries, especially amongst younger audiences, are some of the most popular content on Netflix um, in particular. And so we either whether that's the sort of the cause or effect, but either way, it's, it's definitely showing that um, younger audiences are definitely genuinely concerned about what they eat in terms of the environment and also in terms of the um their own personal health. Let's start on the the ordering thing. And I don't want to be like the Uber nerd who's like pushed going into like whether there's a skew in the data because of the of, of a behavioral change. But I, I want to ask you about it just to understand and see how you've thought about this. I'm sure you have. You, you said that when they're ordering ordering delivery food through for a grocery cart, so essentially like getting groceries delivered as opposed to like prepared food, that that food in the cart is healthier than it has been in the past. Is that generational? Is that or is that do you think there's something about ordering groceries like on the Internet as opposed to going to the store that is making people choose healthier food? No, I mean, it, that's very difficult. to It's very difficult to separate. I think there's a definitely a large part of that because, you know, you walk down an aisle, you see some ready-made meal. As you said, it looks, you know, you're hungry and you, know, you never go shopping when you're hungry, um, you know, uh, for example. But you see it and you want to put it in your, you know, whatever it is. Or the, uh, So we do see that. But, but even amongst the same cohort of people we have seen over the last 12 months, um, no, a little longer, actually, a little over the last 18 months from when we were tracking behavioral data, um, we see people buying um healthier food but also when we look at the survey data which is self-reported 
um, and we see the trends there, we're actually seeing very much the same sort of story is mm. being backed up. So not only are people actually buying healthier food, they think they are buying healthier food as well. Um, so, but but yes, I take your point. It definitely is probably skewing because it's a younger, slightly younger audience. Fasc- oh, fascinating. Um, all right. So another thing you highlighted there was meat. So the first, the, the, the reduction in eating meat, the first thing I wanted to ask you, can you give us some context to like how, how big this reduction is? Is it they're eating 5% less or 70% less? So one in five millennials are actively reducing their meat intake to save the planet. So there are a lot more millennials than that are re- reducing it. But one in five, 20%, which is a huge number, mm. are doing it just for, 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 for the planet. Okay. Um, and, and that's what they're telling us from self-reported data. My personal suspicion is, is maybe they're also doing it for other reasons, but people generally like to give right. more virtuous reasons. Yeah. Um, and it's probably more virtuous that than, I don't know, losing weight, um, right. for example. Um, we're, also, we're also seeing other things in terms of almost, again, almost 20% have tried a dairy-free diet versus 7% for Gen X and 9% for baby boomers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot larger. So again, it's a lot of people, younger people are sort of thinking, let's stop eating dairy at all. Let's stop the sort of, you know, animal expert exploitation. Also, you know, the health benefits they they perceive from not eating dairy, you know, whatever those may, that may or may not be. Um, and then we're also seeing just in terms of the younger skew. Amazing. So, I mean, big takeaway, people seem to be making more active choices in either direction around food, recently yeah absolutely I've yeah. Got more, more time to be at home um and then yeah hamish brocklebank thank you so much for for bringing the the yougov data lens here to our conversation super fascinating thank you what a privilege to have kenji on the show thank you kenji if you haven't read his books his recipes or watched his videos go do all that his upcoming book the walk recipes and techniques will be released on march 8th of this year to pre-order, head to KenjiLopezAlt.com slash books. It's K-E-N-J-I-L-O-P-E-Z-A-L-T.com slash books. To watch his great YouTube videos, check out his YouTube channel. He's Kenji Alt. And if you want to know why you should dry brine your turkey, use gelatin in your cassoulet, or spatchcock your next roasted chicken, find his food lab recipes at SeriousEats.com. For more information about the Webby Awards, please visit us at webbyawards.com or on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. If you like our podcast, we'd be so grateful if you took a moment to give us a rating or review. You can reach me on social at DMDLikes. Our producer is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our assistant producer is Haley Lewis. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is in charge. And I'm your host, David Michelle Davies. This is The Webby Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.